millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And that means it is time for our regular Tuesday night feature. This is where we invite an expert on the program. Um, to ask questions that the Knights team and you, the audience, want answered. And tonight's expert is talking about an item, or a tool, indeed, that is so common, you probably have at least half a dozen of them in your kitchen right now. Uh, It is knives. Knives is our expert topic tonight, and we've invited someone on who most certainly knows their filleting knife from their fluting knife. Gareth Hughes is the owner of Victory Knives, which make some of the most sought-after knives in all of New Zealand, with customers all over the world. He's on the line now. Kia ora to you, Gareth. G'day, uh, Emil. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm excited about this. Um, before we get into the questions about knives, I'm curious about you. Why have you spent your career working with knives? Well, I was, oh yeah, it's, you're giving me this. Uh, yeah, I obviously am know a fair bit about them, having uh, owned, uh, been lucky enough to own Victory Knives for the last uh, five years. Um, a business that's yeah been around in New Zealand since 1927, and um, yeah, fortunate enough to be the fourth owner of it in that uh, period of time. So it's got a lot of history. Um, making the first tool that man ever created, being the simple humble knife. Since that company was founded, what, nearly 100 years ago now, has much in the world of knives changed? Because you'd think it's a bit of, as you said, you know, it's one of the first tools that humans started to use, but has the knife changed and how over the years? Um, yes, yeah, I, I, will, I mean, fundamentally, uh, the sharp piece of steel part um, and, you know, what you hang on to are the, the two parts that make up a knife, but the key part probably in our history that changed was uh, wooden handles were uh, banned for meat processing and fish processing environments, I think, in 1976. And uh, we were one of the first companies to start injection moulding plastic handles around knives. So, um, you know, that was obviously a change driven by um, hygiene. Um, and But then, I guess, as technologies come along and you've got the ability to care, draw and cut exact shapes, mm-hmm. Um, uh, lots of new shapes of knives have been uh, introduced into, um, and certainly into processing environments to uh, be able to sort of make the job easier or perform a specific task. Gareth, we, we've probably all seen a, a scene from a medieval movie of someone blacksmithing a, a sword and, you know, putting it into the coals and hammering it into shape and so on and so forth. I don't imagine that the process of creating knives in this day and age is, is similar to that. So talk us through, what is that process like, creating a high-quality knife? What are the steps that it goes through? But yeah, okay. So it starts with, obviously, great and raw ingredients, and that's um, in the form of the stainless steel. So we bring in... German stainless steel from a foundry in Germany that supplies all of the big knife manufacturers around the world and they specialise in making steel for knives, uh, scissors, scalpels and needles. So quite a specific type of steel. Um, We bring it in and buy the container load and uh, we get it laser cut into our 57 odd different blade shapes um, that we've designed and worked on over the years. 
and um, and then kind of the, then the key magic of making knives, as you pointed out just before, around you know forging and banging isn't quite how we do it. Or, or, certainly at scale, at least, um, is we um, we forge we heat heat treat the steel at a thousand and fifty degrees uh, for about twenty minutes, um, and we're doing it by weight, so um, doing two point eight kilos of stainless steel at a time. So that's however many blades we can hang and put into our into our furnace. Um, and then they come out into into quenching oil, um, and then from the quenching oil we do a sub-zero quench where we put them in like a medical grade freezer overnight at minus 70 degrees, and all of that is basically, I guess, like making Nana's cake is yeah. we're trying to change the microstructure of the steel to give it the right hardness to be able to hold an edge, but to take an edge as well. So um, that's kind of a key magic in, in the quality of the knife and, and how it's going to perform. Um, from there, we move down and we grind them. So it's CNC grinding, two-zone grinding, where we're putting the taper and the shape into the blade. Um, then we'll etch our brand and obviously our serial numbers in for our uh, tracking. All of our knives have got a lifetime guarantee. It's probably a good time to throw the plug in, including <laughs> misuse and wear and tear. Um, and um, and then they, after after grinding and we've had and done the etching, we uh, uh, will uh, we've got a sharpening robot, which is his name is Edward. Nice named after named after Suzanne's. the founder of the company Ed, Ed, Edward Goddard. Right, no, right, right. The company was founded by a guy called Edward Goddard. So every robot needs a name. Yeah. So um, and then we injection mold the handles around the blades um, and they're obviously washed and packed, and that's sort of the quick ten cent tour of how we manufacture our knives. But throughout that process, there's kind of 13 human touch points or interactions and QC checks. So, um, yeah, really important that we're making something that is, rel- that is quite simple but will we'll, we'll work hard in the environments which uh, predominantly it's used with, work within. You, you talked about the different types of knives that there are for different utilities. Who, I guess, who, um, how do you figure out what kind of blade is going to be good for... for Different. What what blades are good for different types? You know, what makes a, a filleting knife? What about the shape of a filleting blade makes it good at, at filleting? What is it about a steak knife that makes it good at cutting steak? Um, what is it about a chef's knife that makes it good for 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 chefs? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And and one of the really fascinating things with knives is there's no right answer. I mean, obviously, yeah. we've all been caught in a situation where you've got one sharp knife and it does every job um, that you <laughs> that you throw at it because it's the sharpest knife in your drawer. Whilst it's not necessarily the right shape, you'll still probably get the result you want, which is you know something in the pan or cutting something, something. exactly. Break. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, for example with filleting knives, obviously you've got a thinner, longer blade, which and a thinner blade creates slightly more flexibility, and the and then your curves on the end to be able to work around proteins and certain bones. Um, you know, there's knives that we manufacture, uh, you know, in the meatworks just for legging animals, just for running up the back of a leg of an animal with a running back tip on it, so it's not digging in to the uh, to the bone or to the uh, as you, or the protein as you, as as it's going up. Um, your chef's knives are obviously a bigger, taller blade, so you've got better slicing and dicing, and then with different profiles on the tip for rolling. But then. Again, you can look at different cultures and places, and there is no exact right answer. So it's quite a fascinating thing if you're into knives. <laughs> okay. 
Do um do most people take terrible care of their knives and anticipating that you're going to say yes to that? What are the mistakes that people make when it comes to maintaining their their knives um, for a long time? The number one is not stealing their knife regularly enough. So um, you know a, a steel should be in everyone's kitchen drawer at home, boat. And a, a steel being like back, a whatever it is, a sharp, a sharp, the thing that you go. Yeah, 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 the yeah, the thing that looks fancy when you're a chef. Yeah, um, yeah the the honing steel. So a honing steel isn't. I mean, people call them sharpening steels. It's sort of it is more honing because mm. essentially what you're doing is propping up that micro the microscopic cutting edge of a knife or the feather. Um, oh. It's like putting. It's kind of more like putting air in your tires as opposed to retreating them. Retreating right. them would be. You know, a combination stone putting the actual bevel or edge back into the knife. So, yeah, that that, that would be the number one thing that I see is people just not stealing their knives or even owning a steel. Graham's just texted in to say, my freezing works knives from 1974 had handles of white polyester resin with cross-hatched sides, cast on, not injection moulded, and I still have them. And, um... Yeah, that's a victory. It, 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 it sounds like it, yeah. And um, yeah. what makes a knife last 50 years? Well, I mean, uh, and it was Graham, was it? Yeah, so um, it, as Graham will know from being in the meat plants, they do wear out and people can wear them down right so they look like a needle that they've been so, so worn down. It really depends on the job that's been performed. Obviously, you know, boning knives being a, a, a thinner blade and working pretty hard against hard things get sharpened more and, and will run out quicker. Um, you know, we sell knives to the produce industry that last for forever just about because, you know, they're, they're not cutting too hard of a, a surface so they don't wear out as fast. So it's a, it really is a hard to answer question, that one. And, and <laughs> I mean, so, most people a lifetime. Well, and, and I guess that's the thing, is is that what blunts a knife, is, is just use on a, on a surface? Yeah, I mean, most of the, most, the, the way most knives, the, the thing that will blunt your knife faster is how is whacking it into your stainless bench or your hard top bench. Mm. You, you know, the difference between going into a glass cutting board versus going into a wooden cutting, cutting board, which is what I would suggest. Um, those consistent little nudges um, just knock over that cutting edge of the knife. And a real, like a kind of a strange analogy, but a good one that people understand is, is if you think of, you've seen the movie Free Willy, you know, the orc, the orc whale that's uh-huh. um, stuck in captivity and he's quite sad. So uh-huh. his his dorsal fins turned over versus a whale, uh, orca whale on the wall that's pointing up. If you think about the dorsal fin as being the microscopic ca- cutting edge of the knife, that's essentially what's happening when you're stealing it is you're just propping it up. So uh-huh. it's the part you can't see effectively. Um Gee, that's a that's an evocative and sad, but but also very very good metaphor that you just came up with. There. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, no, no, it's good, people it's good. get it when I say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, tells, it tells a story. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, um, some knives are sold for astonishing sums of money, thousands, ten thousands of dollars. What makes a knife? I mean, apart from the ability to pay that much money for a knife, but what? What's what makes a ten thousand dollar knife different from you know one of one of your um, one of your premium knives? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's it, it's I mean it purely really is. I mean, you, you can have all sorts of different um, you know fancy looking Damascus steel blades, etc. Um, 
and and handle. You know, people pay huge money for the handle, which um, I guess you know from my my businesses we've got a really simple handle mm. because it's a tool to go to work and do a job. But the the difference is is the craftsmanship and the and the work that goes into to handles and how and how it's made in a smaller batch size effectively. So um, yeah, that would be. And and you can pay huge money for stuff, and it's based yeah. on brand and reputation. But um, does it? You know, it's not. You don't see those knives. Um, you know, getting your steaks to a tray to be bought in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you 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 mentioned the Damascus steel, which to people who are unfamiliar with that, that's sort of that steel with like a pattern running through it, right? It looks it looks quite sort of beautiful and. Um, ethereal. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. What what yeah. is what is that? What is Damascus steel? Well, it's it's a treatment that is done. They sort of get dipped, and uh, it's a type of it's a type of steel, and it creates that effect. Um, it's not something of we've actually done any ever done any work with. So I don't really speak from a position of <laughs> of great authority on it. Um, is it meant to be better, or yeah. is it just pretty? It's pretty. Right, so there's no utility to it. It just it looks exotic, and so people feel like it. No, that's good. I'm glad to know that. Um, here is another one. Um, people seem to go nuts for Japanese knives. Um, why is that? Does do, do, do Japanese knives, or is there a history of knife making in Japan that's different yeah, to other places? Yeah, they've got a huge history of knife making, um, and the, the name of the area escapes me right now. But there's a lot of very small, very long-term owned family businesses with these incredible histories of hand hand forging knives, um, and and known for their high carbon steel, um, which is the you know the stainless steel and high carbon steel. The high carbon steel is the stuff that you need that will rust a lot easier, but you've got to obviously put a coating on it. Um, so yeah, lots of small boutique knife uh, manufacturers over there, and um, yeah, if you want to go and spend big spend ten thousand on a knife, that's a good place to go. That's where you go for it. Yeah, <laughs> you talked about handles before and how you 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 try to keep your handles pretty practical. Are handles important to how a knife performs? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about comfort. Um, you know, it's the thing you're hanging on to. So you know, most of the the greatest percentage of the knives that we manufacture are, are used in, in environments where people are using them for 40, 50 hours a week. So the ergonomics of a handler are, are really important. Um, and obviously then working in with the environment in which they're being used um, based on you know certain grips on handles um, on the blade. So, um, yeah, absolutely they are. Lorraine Texton, uh, with, a, with a very sad story, I bought a knife when visiting a maker in Japan, but I find it very, very difficult to prevent rust and water spots. Please help me. Yeah, so that that goes back to the point I referenced before about high carbon steel. So, all, so we actually do some high carbon steel knives ourselves, and we buy that steel from Japan. Um, so, uh, high carbon steel means that there's not as much chromium in it. That's the difference between stainless and, and high carbon. And the chromium's the the part that will create the stainless, you know, the, the you know stainless part of a knife. Um, so you've really just got to make sure once you've used it, um, obviously give it a really good clean, dry it fully, and you probably just want to put some vegetable oil on it. Just stop what you know, a, a olive oil, vegetable oil, whatever it is, on the surface of the knife, and then that'll stop it oxidising. Right, like a carbon steel f- fry pan. 
Absolutely, exactly the same thing, yeah. So if you store them wet or, you know, open to the air without putting just a layer of oil on them, they'll just get the surface rust on them. There you go, Lorraine. Look at that, public service. We've got three minutes left if anybody else has uh, knife-related questions they want to fire through for Gareth. Um, hey, we've talked largely about kitchen knives and cooking knives so far, but knives, of course, are also used as, as essential tools by hunters, for example, um, also in militaries and so on and so forth as well. I mean, like, is a, is a hunting knife pretty similar in concept to a, a kitchen knife, or are they entirely different beasts? But more more generally modelled off a boning knife, but then just with small modifications to it, so is that you've, it'll, it'll skin an animal better. Um, we do a knife that is exactly that, um, which is, is it's, a, it's essentially a, a similar to a boning knife shape, but we've got like a slight slight drop on the swage, which means you, which is the top part of the point of the knife, um, which gives you the e- a better ease of of skinning as well as boning. Um, and that, you know, if you're taking one knife into the hills, that's a good option. Um, so, yeah, that's typically it. And then once generally people have got them home, they'll roll out a skinning knife to take the skin off the animal and then and then trim it. And different, there's, you know, you can have a different knife for all sorts of occasions. But, um, yeah, it's it's more butchery than it is kitchen. What's your favourite knife, kind of knife? Uh, My favourite knife was the one that the previous owner gave to me uh, five years ago when I spent a day going through wanting to buy, uh, looking to buy the business. So that's uh, tucked away in a special place. I've retired it from hunting duties, but it's um, that's my favourite knife. That you've retired, you've retired it from hunting duties. So it's an artifact now. It's it's just it's it's memories at this point. yeah, I do. I've got a big, I've got a big um, thing in my office, and we've got, I've got knives in there from World War Two that we made, and knives that we sold in the fifties, and knives returned from the meatworks. So it's gone into my little collection of uh, my little knife collection there. Have you got a knife room? Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah, we've, I've got a lot of knives of the history of the business. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah, so and and I'm fascinated by you know digging through all of the old archives and you know directors' minutes from 1930 when they're talking paying each other in pounds and shillings and stuff like that. It uh, fascinates me. So yeah, it's uh, good. And and often I get people say that you know they've inherited granddad's old meatworks knives and what what can I do with them? And, and often I'll I'll swap them out for new ones for people because I love having you know all of that history um in there in the form of a of a knife. It's yeah. quite cool. I bet, I bet. Um, text in, the place in Japan which specialises in knives is Sakai, apparently, and Sakai, uh, serendipitously, is the sister city of, of Wellington. There you go. Um, Gareth, awesome. it's been lovely chatting to you this evening. Let me ask you one thing before you go. We've got about 40 seconds left. Um, if people are building like a knife collection, a nice knife collection, um, and they're making their first purchase, what do you think is the, the best type of knife to start off a good knife collection with? Well, I mean, if we took it right down, okay, I reckon you should get kids filleting your fish because otherwise you'll be doing it yourself all your life. And if you and, and get them started earlier, you can get them a shorter blaze and get them filleting your fish. So, um, you know, get get kids a filleting knife and get them involved. Get a filleting knife, get them involved. Gareth Hughes, it's been, it's been great. We've learned a lot this evening. Thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us. Thanks very much for having me. Have a great night. You too. It's Gareth Hughes, the owner of Victory Knives. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.